I also have the privilege of introducing our speaker today, um, Caleb Daniels. Um, he comes all the way from Nampa, Idaho. Long trek. Um, it can be with that drive. It's a little, it's a little bit boring, but <laughs> um, we are so thankful to have him here this morning. He um, attends College Church, and um, we're just so thankful that he has um, taken this Sunday morning to come and be with us and, and share the word. So, Caleb, the floor is yours. I'm not quite as loud as Pastor Brent, so uh, <laughs> I'm, I may need it. Um, it's great to be with you this morning. I think I was here almost exactly a year ago, maybe a, a week off or so. Um, but I had a great time then. I'm a year older, year wiser. I have a bit more hair now, um, so we'll see how we do. Yeah, that that, I, that will change, right? Uh, oh, there's two waters. I hope this one was mine. All right. All right. Um, our gospel reading this morning comes out of Luke, the 19th chapter. Um, those first nine verses, or ten verses, and probably a story that's pretty familiar to us. Uh, It goes a little something like just this. Uh, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through town. A man there named Zacchaeus, a ruler among tax collectors, was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. Everyone who saw this grumbled, saying, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this household, because he too is a son of Abraham. The human one came to seek and save the lost. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, There are some stories that are are very familiar to us. Um, We're used to them. Uh, Growing up, a lot of times, these are uh, fairy tales, stories, and they often come in kind of groups of three, right? Um, Three uh, bears in Goldilocks. Um, Three little pigs is one that I really loved as a kid. I remember... um, my dad, we would, we would bother him so often. We'd be like, Dad, tell us the three little pigs, tell us the three little pigs. Um, and he'd be like, really? Like, I have so many good stories, and this is the one you want to keep hearing? Like, you know how it goes. And so one day we were at dinner, um, and I don't remember where we were eating, but uh, I remember it was chicken of meat of some kind. Um, that'll be important in the story later, so take note of that. Um, and... He started, we were saying, Dad, tell us a story, tell us a story. He's like, okay, what story would you like me to tell him? He said, the three little pigs. And he goes, are you sure? Like, you know this story. It's, you don't, like, do you need me to tell you it? Like, you you know it. And so we said, no, 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 tell us a story, tell us a story. And he's like, all right, once upon a time, there were three little pigs. um, And they got sent off into the world. And they started to build houses for themselves. And he gets to, like, the first pig building house out of straw and can already tell, like, we're not paying attention anymore. Like, we're... Our eyes are glazed over. We're kind of, you know, nibbling on some chicken um, and just totally lost us. Um, And so he he keeps going. Then he pushes through. You know, the second pig made a house out of sticks. The third, uh, out of brick. Um, And then came the big bad wolf. Um, And the big bad wolf came to the first house. Little pigs, little pigs, let me come in. And they said, no, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. And blew down the first house. Right, Uh, Pig runs away, second house. Little pig, little pig, let me come in. No, no, not by the hair of our chinny chin chin. 
then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. And he blows, right? Uh, house of sticks come crashing down. Uh, both the pigs, though, manage to run away, get hide in their, their third brother's house. Um, and here comes the wolf again, though. Little pigs, little pigs, let me come in. And he looks, and he can tell that we are not paying attention at all at this point. And so he decides, um, you know, as all good dads do, that now he's going to traumatize us for life. Um, and so he changes the story a little bit at this point, And he goes, uh, little pigs, little pigs, let me come in. No, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. Um, and so the wolf huffed and puffed. And he huffed and puffed. And the mortar began to crack. And at this point, we look up, because like this is not how the story goes, right? <laughs> and he huffed and he puffed, and the brick began to crumble. And with a final huff and puff, the house of bricks came crushing down. And, at the, and he goes, and the wolf came in. And grabbed the pig, and at this point he grabs some chicken off the table, and and starts eating the chicken in front of us. Um, And as you can imagine, um, I'm still working through that with a professional to this day. Um, So um, maybe that's not a great example, um, but I think it is a good reminder that uh, every once in a while, Stories that are very familiar to us, um, that are meant to be uh, radical, life-changing, unique stories, um, can become ordinary. And we can be so used to reading them and assuming uh, we know the flow of how this goes, um, that we miss out on a lot of the great things, um, especially when it comes to stories from the Bible, that God has um, to share with us. And I think this morning, uh, this is one of those stories. Um, Thanks in part to a song that most of us probably learned when we were little kids, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see, right? Zacchaeus, please come down, right? All right, for I'm going to your house today, right? All right, uh, he's, he's a wee little man. Uh, and as kids, that's great. I think this story speaks to kids so uh, well, in part because Zacchaeus is small. And stuck on the back of the crowd. And as kids, we know what it's like to feel um, literally small, right? Um, unable to see in the crowd and often uh, pushed to the fringes. And Christ invites us um, to the forefront. Uh, but as adults, sometimes I think that's the extent to which this story speaks to us. Is, you know, Zacchaeus, cool dude, kind of short, climbed a tree. Jesus um, said, hey, come on, I'm going to your house. Um, and uh, his life was changed. And that's great, but I think if that's the extent to which we understand this passage, we're missing out on some of um, the beauty and richness and uh, kind of scandal of this passage uh, this morning. And I think, to better understand it, there are sort of three contexts that I want us to think about this morning. Three contexts. Um, And I'm running out of time already, so you're going to have to listen a little bit faster. (laughs) All right. the first context that we have to think about is the historical context of what's going on. Uh, Zacchaeus, we hear, is a ruler among tax collectors. He's not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector. Um, and uh, if, you know, every, anytime tax collectors come up in uh, the Gospels especially, it's always like, tax collectors, Ugh. no, no thank you. Um, and for many of us, uh, you know, April rolls around and we're, we have a similar thought probably, like, ugh. Tax collectors. Um, but what, what we, if that's the extent to which we think uh, tax collectors 
why they're they're hated is because people don't like to give up their money, which, you know, amen. But um, at the same time, uh, we're missing out on it a little bit. Um, Because tax collectors in the first century were part of this political game that was going on between Rome and uh, Judea, um, the Jewish people. Um, Rome ran things, but they kind of had a policy that went like this. Hey, pay your taxes to Caesar. You know, maybe give Caesar a little offering every once in a while. Um, and don't cause trouble, and you can kind of rule yourselves. And so they would put people in charge of the area, um, but they didn't want to, like, expend a ton of resources. So that instead of, like, sending their Roman officials to come um, collect the taxes necessary, they'd hire people from among the group, right? So they would find good Jewish entrepreneurs and say, hey, you want to make some money? And, you know, Romans are asking you, so you don't... It's, it sounds like you can say no, but you probably really, you know, can't really say no. Um, and so they would hire these chief tax collectors and say, hey, uh, collect our taxes and uh, try and make a profit off of it. So then these uh, chief tax collectors would hire other individuals to be like the day-to-day people actually collecting the money um, and then uh, try, though, to make a premium off of that. So they are overtaxing their people, um, going against a lot of Old Testament uh, law regarding uh, money lending and such like that. Um, and so in many ways, for the Jewish people, tax collectors are the lowest of the lows because they're traitors to their own kind, right? They are good Jewish people. They should know what to do, but instead they've sided themselves with Rome, um, the, peop- the power that is enforcing their will on the people. It reminds me, um, Pastor Val and I have a mutual friend who is uh, recently started as a youth pastor uh, in California. Um, and I'm originally from the Los Angeles area, um, and... Yeah, sorry, I know, yeah. Uh, um, In my time there, uh, I managed to become, I don't know how many of you are basketball fans, but I managed to become a a fan of the Los Angeles Clippers, which is not the team you should root for in Los Angeles. Although, you know, I feel like I can say that out loud this year because they should actually be okay. But they have a terrible history of being an awful team, one of the worst franchises in sports. And now they're pretty good. Um, Our our mutual friend, um, he's from Colorado. The Nuggets this year also look like they're going to be really good. Um, but he moves to Los Angeles, and now he keeps posting all this Lakers stuff. He is dead to me. <laughs> he is a traitor to his own kind, right? The Nuggets are good, and a traitor to his good friend, who we know is a diehard Clippers fan, um, right? Now take that and like multiply it by like a thousand, and I think we start to get perhaps um, some of this. So tax collector. This guy who is rich, right? So we know he's doing a good job making money off of his fellow Jewish uh, people. Uh, We also, when we read the Bible, we like to take individual verses or stories, but sometimes we miss out on the bigger picture of what's going on in the book as a whole. Um, I love the lectionary for this reason. It likes to walk us through um, kind of story by story, so we get a sense every week of like, oh yeah, this kind of fits there and there. Um, I don't love that it skipped a whole bunch of chapter 18. That's really good. So if you still have a Bible with you open, let's flip back to chapter 18 just for a second, just to remember where we came from, right? Jesus tells a bunch of parables. Um, There's one about a Pharisee and a tax collector. Um, And I had the opportunity to preach on that last week um, over at uh, Middleton Nazarene. Um, And this beautiful story, right, where we see a tax collector who actually, Jesus says, hey, this tax collector is doing the right thing uh, in this prayer. Um, There are little children who want to come to Jesus, but kind of like Zacchaeus, how he's small and can't get through the crowd. The crowd's holding them back. Say, stop this. Get get those kids out of here, right? Tell them a joke. Send them off to kids' church. 
Let's go. Jesus got some things to tell the adults. Right? Uh, then a, a certain rich man asked a question. Um, Lord, what is, if I want eternal life, what should I do? And Jesus says, um, well, you know, you know the laws. Um, but, you know, let's do one more thing. How about sell everything? Uh, come, follow me. And the rich man leaves sad because he can't do it. And his disciples, who think really highly of the rich, right? Man, this guy's got it together. Jesus, if he can't be saved, then who can? Right? And Jesus has that great line about how it is easier for a rich person, to, or easier to put a camel through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into heaven. And they're left going, then who can be saved? And Christ has this great line. Um, uh, what is impossible for humans is possible for God. Right? And we often miss that line in the story. But that what is impossible for humans is possible for God. And then 18 ends with this blind man. Um, who is being held back by the crowd. Jesus, help me, help me. He's having to yell from a distance because, again, the crowds are keeping him away. Um, Jesus has got more important things, dude. Uh, but he calls out, and Christ hears him um, and heals him and says that his faith, his persistence, his faith have, has healed him. And then we get Zacchaeus, right? And in the midst of this, we can see all these themes running through again, right? Zacchaeus, this tax collector, this person who we all look at and assume, man, that guy's such a jerk. What's he, what's he doing? Why is he even here? Why is he bothering Jesus? Um, obviously, he doesn't know what he should do. Um, similarly, so these other, these children, this blind man, he's being kept away, right? He can't get through the crowd, um, but he's unwilling to let that stop him. He climbs the sycamore tree, right? For the Lord he wanted to see. And then we know, moving forward, this is one of the last stories we get before Jesus heads to Jerusalem, right? Jesus offers... Um, this tax collector, this person who's been kind of marginalized in a society by his own choices, um, offers him hope, salvation, redemption, reconciliation. Um, but we know that this is one of the last things Jesus will do before heading to Jerusalem, where things in his ministry take a turn. Um, and we have to remember, uh, I, I, I had a teacher, I, I teach Bible at a high school. Uh, that's my day job during the week. Um, and last year, uh, I was meeting with a group, and there was this other teacher with me, and she was reminding them, hey, um, it doesn't cost anything to be nice to people. Like, why choose to be nice to people? And on so many levels, that's so true. But we also got to remember, hey, they killed Jesus, right? Like, doing this sort of thing, hanging out with the outsider, is not like a, a no, right? Like, we could, it could cost you. Um, and the, the question is, will you do it anyway? Are you willing to take up our cross. And so there's a little history, there's a little kind of looking at the book at a whole, um, but even the language within the book, or within this little story, is so, so interesting. Um, Zacchaeus, this chief tax collector, who we can assume is very prideful, right? Rich, probably wears elegant robes. Um, we see him trying to run through the crowd. And that word there, that kind of running that he does there, is not something one does in public if you're kind of living in this time period. It's not like a respectable thing to do. It's kind of humiliating if you're having to run, right? Um, because you're late for the meeting. And if you're actually very, you know, well-loved and responsible, the meeting starts when you get there, right? So you can take your time, just, right? Um, but if you're running, that means you're, you're the servant. You're the person who's trying to uh, make sure you're there to please the other people. Um, he climbs a tree. Another no-no, right? We think of kids climbing a tree, um, Adults, A, first of all, trying to climb a tree. Oh, goodness. Um, but secondly, 
again, kind of a childish thing to do. Um, this is how he's humbling himself, trying to get Jesus' attention. Um, the sycamore tree is also a tree um, that uh, we, in different Old Testament passages, is used to describe the poor. Um, it produced figs that were not quite as good as some other trees that also produce figs. I don't know a lot about figs, but apparently this is a thing. There are different qualities of figs. Uh, the sycamore doesn't produce quite as good of figs, um, and so they were often figs that were eaten by the poor. Um, for those who couldn't afford, you know, nicer dates and um, other uh, fruit. Uh, so he is literally running, humiliating himself, climbing, humiliating himself. And not only that, he's climbing a symbol of poverty. Right? And then, uh, did we notice how many times Jesus says the word today? Both times Jesus talks to him, he says, hey, I'm coming to your house today. Not like, hey, how does seven on Thursday sound, right? No, today, right now, I'm coming. And then when he gets there, he says, um, redemption has come to you today, right? Hope, salvation has come to your house today. And then what Zacchaeus says is really interesting, and this is the part of the story that um, translators don't really know what to do with. Depending on what your translation of the Bible you have in front of you, my guess is Zacchaeus says one of two things in verse 8. says either... Look, Lord, right now I'm going to give away all I have. Thank you for meeting me, right? Right now I'm going to give this all away. Um, and if I've wronged anyone, I'm going to give them back like four times uh, what, what is due to them. Um, or, um, as we read this morning, it says, Look, Lord, I give half of my possessions. It's hard for translators to translate because we don't know what to do because Zacchaeus' words there are, and I'm taking this back to English class for a second, so I'm sorry, right? In the present tense, he's not saying, hey, Lord, I am going to do these things. Literally, he says, I do these things. So then the question is, is Zacchaeus so thrilled um, by this redemption, so filled with this uh, spirit that Jesus brings to him that um, he's saying this as though he already does this because that's how quickly he's going to do this? Or have the crowds been assuming the wrong things about Zacchaeus? Have they been assuming that he's this crook when really he's done his best in a crooked system to live out righteousness? And so scholars aren't sure how to translate that. They're not sure which way to go. Because Jesus seems to say, hey, redemption has come to you today. So the question is, is that redemption a fixing of an already broken lifestyle? Or is it an invitation, right? A public, hey, I'm coming to this guy's house a public invitation back into the community that has rejected him um, for no fault of his own. And we don't know. So perhaps the best we can do is say yes. Yes. Um, right? We thought we knew who Zacchaeus was, but whether or not he changed that moment he met Jesus or whether or not he'd been trying to follow this good Jewish lifestyle the entire time, um, the rejection he felt and... Um, the invitation back into a reconciled community offered by Christ remain the same. And so, for us today, I think there, we can take, kind of, take two things away from this. First of all, if you're like me, you kind of grew up in this thing, uh, this community we call the church. Um, I kind of joke, they've messed me up, so now they're kind of stuck with me, right? Like, I... 
right? And some of you, you know, we could pass the mic around. You could tell us some of the ways the church has messed you up and why they're stuck with you now, right? But the problem can be when, we, when we're part of this community, we're trying to foster this Christ-like community, is that there are people who've disappointed us. They've disappointed us maybe not even once or twice. They've hurt us more times than we can count. And the question for us today in this passage is, can they really change? Can someone actually change, or are they always going to disappoint us? Um, This is a terrible example because it doesn't go well. But my brother, when I was really little, I have two younger brothers and a younger sister. And my brother, my closest brother in age to myself, we both really loved the Lord of the Rings movies. And we had these cool little Lord of the Rings action figures. Um, And our little little brother, he couldn't have been more than like five or six when the movies came out. And he wanted to play with them. He's like, hey, let me play. And we're like, no, Jonah, you're going to break them. Because he always broke our toys. And my mother said, hey, no, let him play with them. He's not going to break them, I promise. Uh, Right? He's got to learn. I swear, not 30 seconds after she's gone down with the toys to let Jonah play with them, she comes back up and she goes, now don't be mad. (laughs) But your brother... um, he may have broke the toys, right? Um, and so then the question is, am I ever going to trust my brother with my toys? No, right? Not of my own volition. Um, but while my mother was incorrect in that moment, maybe trusting a younger kid than she should have with her, you know, the fragile toys of the older brothers, um, what she was trying to foster in us there, I really deeply appreciate. It's this understanding that Jonah may break your toys a thousand times, But on the thousand and first times that he wants to play with you and spend time with you, you don't get to say no, right? But that you get to keep inviting him, and maybe the family budget for replacing your toys needs to go up a little bit, right? But he is going to get to participate in this. And so my question for us as the church today is, who are those people that either reject Christ outwardly, have hurt us in some way, but for whom we go, oh, I know what they're like, and there's, they'd never want anything to do with this thing called church. And so we don't even take the time to invite them, to think about them, to try and include them in community. Maybe we actively exclude them, or maybe we just, they don't even f- come on our radar anymore, because we've tried, and it, it's too messy. Because Zacchaeus wants, uh, the story of Zacchaeus wants to push in us today that maybe either one of two things either maybe they're not as messed up as we thought in the first place or even if they are even if they're part of this broken system and they're leaning into it all it can take is one dinner with Christ to change everything and while that may be the story for most of us who we who we kind of think about today I can't help but think there's there's probably at least one person here um, for whom we don't, you don't recognize uh, yourself so much in the crowds following Jesus, but in uh, Zacchaeus himself. Um, this man who um, misused other people, um, was misused himself, part of a system, did his best to succeed, but ended up hurting a lot of people. And is left going, what do I do with this? My community is rejecting me. My family is rejecting me. 
and I just don't know where to turn. Can I tell you that we believe in a God who offers grace, hope, redemption, and reconciliation, not just someday, not just as a future hope when we die, but today, right now. Christ wants to say, hey, I'm coming to your house today. All it takes is a little humility. There may be some running and climbing involved, right? There may be some association with people that you never thought you'd associate yourself with. But if you just give Christ one lunch, one dinner, one minute, Christ wants to say, hey, I have something for you today, right now. And it'll be as though um, you'll want to share it, and it'll be as though you're already doing all these wonderful new holy things, um, even though you got a little bit of work to do. Zacchaeus, interesting guy, um, cool guy. We're not sure how to translate. Um, we're not quite sure what to do with who he is. Um, but offers a lot of words of hope to us today um, and a bit of a challenge for those of us who are already part of the community to find those ways to include and invite and not be a stumbling block to others from Christ. As Christ says, come, let the little children come to me. Um, Even those who we think have no business being in the presence of the Lord, may we not be the ones who keep them from meeting Jesus today. Um, And for those of us who've not met him, It opens an invitation. Um, Not just that you come to his house, but he would love to come to yours and enter your circles um, and offer you hope, grace, and reconciliation even today. Let's pray. God, you are so, so good to us. I want to confess the ways in which we as a community of faith Um, make assumptions about people and exclude them um, from community. Thank you for continuing to reach out to them, finding those Zacchaeuses up in the tree, even when we fail to have the eyes to see. I pray that this uh, day, this week, this year, um, in this season of transition, um, that you would be present and active in Mountain Home Church of the Nazarene, um, that people in the community would say, hey, you got to go over to uh, their house, because there's this dude there hanging out. He's offering some pretty cool things. Um, May it be a place of your presence, and may um, they feel feel that um, blessing today. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Church, uh, we serve a God uh, who, in the midst of caring for 99 sheep, won't let anything stop him from getting and finding that one. Um, may we not be one of those things that needs tear down and push out of the way um, to find that outsider. But may we learn, like the Good Shepherd, to open our arms um, to those, even those who've hurt and wronged us and who we think have no business coming to Jesus. May we learn to invite them in um, as brother and sister. Uh, Hear these words today as a blessing. Now may the God of peace himself cause you to be completely dedicated to him, and may your spirit, soul, and body be kept intact and blameless at our Lord Jesus Christ's coming.
the one who is calling you is faithful, and he will do this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.